Praise the Lord. Next week, as you know, is uh, Human Life Sunday. And if you haven't received a baby bottle yet to fill up with coins similar to BGMC, please take one of those on your way out this morning. We will collect those next week as well as take an offering to support them. Uh, we're going to talk about a little bit about that sanctity of human life today in a moment, but keep praying for them. Keep praying. The more you hear in the news, the more you can't believe what's going on in society. Amen? Wow, praise the Lord. So be in prayer for them. They need your prayer. I'm not sure if you know what happened last time they were here. They had, they had videos made that we had shown, and they had a company that made these videos. Well, the company that they had did not obtain the permission from one of the music clips that we showed. And so, long story short, they were taken to court by the owner of that music and were sued. And they, the insurance company and the, the author of that music who does not believe in pro-life, they did come to a settlement. But it's just an example of the, the spiritual battle that God, I mean, it was a 30-second clip that we happened to air because it was shown here. So I, I had talked to her. We're, we're making sure that's not going to happen again. Uh, all the music that they receive is, is, they've gotten the authority to do that. So, so that's the example of how God, uh, the enemy comes against what God's doing. If he can't do it through the front door, he'll do it through the back door. So praise the Lord. Well, today has been designated as Human Life Sunday. Uh, next week we welcome them. How many know the statement, all life has intrinsic value. What's that mean? That means you have value simply because you exist. Not because of what you can do, not because of what you have, your talents, abilities. You have value because you're breathing. Even in our Declaration of Independence, the very beginning has the following. We hold these truths to be self-evident. In other words, it takes no explanation. We should all recognize that that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator, not by the government, with certain inalienable rights, that among those are first life. Each of us has from our creator the intrinsic value of life, and we have the right to have that life. No person can take that away. No person can deprive you of that which is why murder is so bad. Now there are two ends of the spectrum that the human life focuses on. One is obviously pre-born babies and the other end of the spectrum is euthanasia as you get older. Now we're not gonna focus on the euthanasia so much but we're gonna talk about the most polarizing issue I think in society today and that is abortion. People on the uh, pro-abortion side are vitriolic when it comes to their position. How many knew there was a march yesterday? There was two marches yesterday. How many of you saw coverage of only one? They had the Women's March in New York, which is the pro-abortion march. Then they had the Right to Life March in DC, which is obviously the pro-life march. And if you watch the news, the Women's March in New York, they get all the coverage. They get all the crowds. Pro-life march, march not so much. I wanna, I'm not going to talk about the euthanasia, but we are going to talk about abortion. If you watch those things, they almost become irrational when they start 
defending their position. But I will, before we start, there's two things I want to say that many pro-lifers have the feeling that we're actually winning this battle a little bit. Despite what you see in the news, we seem to be winning this. A lot of states are passing these pro-life bills. A lot of them are getting on board with that. Science and technology leaves no doubt in anyone's mind. I don't think that it's a, uh, that is right to life. The second thing is, there's two parts of this sermon today. One, we're gonna talk about the, the atrocity of abortion. But the second part is gonna be talking about the grace of God. And the, you set that up by saying how bad of a sin this is. Now, God doesn't qualify sin, but in our eyes and what we see, it's horrific. For God to have such a grace extended to such a horrific act, you see the grace of God. That no sin is above forgiveness. No sin is above being cleansed by the blood of Christ. So we're gonna talk a little bit about what the Bible says about the baby and then how God says you can get a clean slate from that. Now the world calls the unborn baby a fetus, a bunch of cells, an unviable tissue mass, all these words are meant to dehumanize the baby. And I guess the first thing we need to establish is not what we think, but what does God say about that? Because that's really the only thing that matters. God recognizes what the world calls unviable tissue mass. God says, no, that's a human being. Jeremiah 1.4 says, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nation. Psalm 139, which is the one we use quote most often, verse 13. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So those two scriptures alone are pretty definitive of what God calls life, what God calls a baby. So regardless of what doctors or professionals or good people or church people, whatever anyone says to you, does not matter because God says it's a baby, it's a human being, and our opinion does not matter. That fact alone tells us that abortion is murder. As simply as taking a life of someone walking around today. Now science has progressed so much since Roe versus Wade that you look at the images that are available, you Google it, you can see images of preborn babies, beautiful pictures, undeniable truth of the personhood of that baby. Now I did a Google search on when the baby can feel pain. And you'd be surprised, I mean, maybe you wouldn't be, at all the articles that say babies can't feel pain. Preborn babies can't feel pain. And then I realized who I was doing the Google search through. Google, which is a pro-abortion company, by the way. And they support Planned Parenthood and all those things. So, but every pro-life scientist, every pro-life organization will tell you that statistically the babies can feel pain 
very, very early. They have heartbeats within a month. They can feel pain. But you look at the world and the world has been blinded. The Bible says the, the devil has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they can't see the truth. And I believe probably more than anything else that this is a spiritual battle. I think I said that before. Because why else would people totally ignore what is plain to them to see and yet be excited about it and promote it? So what is our job as a church to do? Our job as a church, we are what? We are salt and light. Salt is a preservative and we are to preserve righteousness as much as possible and as often as possible. That doesn't mean we're gonna prevail in every situation but it does mean we are to do our best to preserve the righteousness that is around us. When we don't preserve it, we sit back. What's, about, what's the quote? All that evil needs to succeed is good men to do nothing. And if we do nothing, evil will advance. So our job is to not only expose them, but we are to fight against them. We are the light. Ephesians 5.11 says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Our job as Christians, one of them is to preserve evil, another is to expose what is happening in the world. It says, for it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible. How many have seen those hidden videos, secret videos taken of Planned Parenthood officials? where they have said we sell baby parts. And yes, they agreed and they, they verified everything we've always known to be true on video. So it's out there. They're doing a great work. Now they're getting sued and all that kind of stuff because the world hates that. The world hates light. The Bible says the enemy hates light. Evil hates light. We talk about it. We preach about it. We bring it to light of what's happening out there. That's why we support the pro-life organizations because we need to expose the sin and we need to... Ex- support efforts to get rid of it. Now, Christians aren't supposed to sit in the sidelines and let the enemy win. How many understand that? Our job, Bible says we have the armor of God. That means we go into battle. Everything is, except the sword is defensive, but we do have the sword to go into battle. Unless we think this is an option, look at Leviticus verse 20, verse one. The Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, any Israelite or alien living in Israel who gives any of his children to Molech must be put to death. They were sacrificing their, their children to this god Molech. Any of his children to Molech must be put to death. The people of the community are to stone him. I will set my face against that man and I will cut him off from his people by giving his children to Molech. For by giving his children to Molech, he has defiled my sanctuary and profaned my holy name. Now it doesn't mean we stone people. How many get that? All right. It just tells us how much God hates it. Now look at verse four. It says, if the people of the community close their eyes when that man gives one of his children to Molech and they fail to do to put him to death, I will set my face against that man and his family and will cut off their people both from him and all who follow him and prostituting themselves to Molech. We don't stone anymore. But the Bible says, if we put a blind, take a blind eye to the things that are happening, we do nothing, we are just as guilty as the person that are doing it. Because God says, if you ignore it, 
you're to be stoned and your family wiped out. That was the Old Testament. We don't do that now. But that tells us we are not to sit back and do nothing. Now what happened when they didn't do that? Jeremiah 32 says, God's talking to them through Jeremiah. It says, they turned their backs to me and not their faces. Though I taught them again and again, they would not listen or respond to discipline. They set up their abominable idols in the house that bears my name and defiled it. They built high places in Baal of, for Baal in the valley of Ben-Himmon to sacrifice their sons and daughters to Molech. Though I never commanded it, nor did it enter my mind that they should do such a detestable thing and so make Judah sin. Go back a couple of verses and it says this in verse 28. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I am about to hand this city over to the Babylonians and to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, who will capture it. The Babylonians who are attacking this city will come and set it on fire. They will burn it down along with the houses where the people provoked me to anger by burning incense on the roofs to Baal and by pouring out drink offerings to other gods. So we already know that God says abortion's wrong. God also tells us that our job is to speak against it, to preserve as much as we can, to do what we can do to stop what's happening. So, God hates it. God hates abortion. So what do we do when someone has already made that choice? Sometimes in our zeal to stop it, we forget there's two, at least two victims baby and the mother, sometimes the father, and sometimes the grandparents. We don't realize the weight of guilt that accompanies abortion. You know, the enemy, what he does for any sin, he talks you into doing it. He tells it's gonna be okay, no big deal, God will be all right with it. And then once you do it, he's the first one to condemn you for it. And he will drive you into the ground for that condemnation. And as Christians, we should understand the difficult situations in a person's life that causes them to make such a decision. We don't condone the sin, but we want to offer hope and healing to the women and the families who are involved in that type of situation. What would Jesus do about that? What would Jesus do if someone were caught doing that? Well, it doesn't say anything specifically in the Bible about that, but it does talk about something that God hated as well. John 8, 3 says, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, if any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who began to go away, all those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, women, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, they said, neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. At that time, 
Adultery was punishable by death. Almost the unforgivable sin. The Old Testament law required that they be stoned. Now notice, when it says they were trying to set him up, if she was in fact caught in the act, where's the dude? Because they were both supposed to be stoned. Now, it says Jesus wrote in the ground, we have no idea what he was writing. Everyone has speculation. I'm kind of thinking of he's writing on the ground all the times that the Pharisees did it. Or maybe the dude was a Pharisee. Or maybe all the sins that these guys have committed. We don't know. I think there's a reason that God doesn't tell us what it was. so We can kind of extrapolate on that. But they were happy to expose her to public humiliation, not because she was breaking the law, but to show up Jesus. How many know we, are, we should be careful not to expose people if we have that ability? What's the Bible say? Galatians 6, 1. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore such a one. In other words, you know someone's going through a situation, don't broadcast it. You one-on-one, go to that person. These guys, they were exposing this woman to public shame. They were exposing her because of her sin, not even because of her sin. They wanted to make a point. In our zeal to end abortion, we don't want to expose people. We want to reconcile people. We want to bring them to the cross. We want to bring them to Jesus. You don't have to do that by exposing them to public shame. Verses five and six, the Pharisee says, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What was their goal? Their goal not only was to catch Jesus, they could care less about the girl. They were waiting for Jesus to say, yeah, stone her. And they probably would have stoned her. Do we want to help people or do we want to inflict judgment on them? Sometimes we want people's sins to be exposed. We want people to be exposed. We want people to face judgment by other people. Rather than our goal should be, what's the Bible say? We are given the ministry of reconciliation. Our job should be to reach out, to love them, to bring them into the fellowship. They have not committed the unpardonable sin. We want them to experience the same forgiveness that we've experienced. You know, one of the songs we were singing this morning, I don't know what, maybe it was God of Wonders, but I realized how sinful I am. And if God was able to forgive me, there's nothing, you know, God wants to forgive everyone. God wants to extend his grace to everyone so that no one has to walk through life condemned and guilty for whatever sins they were, whether it's abortion or not. And our job is to offer that to people. The last part of it, Jesus bent down starting to write on the ground with his finger. After that, what did he do? When they question, verse seven says, when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, if any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. None of us is better than anyone else. God is not graded on a curve. How many know that? Sin is sin. 
some sins have more consequences to them. Some sins are more visible to others. Some sins in our eyes appear to be more wicked, but in God's eyes, sin is sin. A person who has had an abortion is no better or worse than one who didn't. And we have no right to cast judgment on them. We have not walked in their shoes. We don't know what the situation was like. I'm not, con- I'm not condoning it. I'm just saying there were other factors that were brought into that decision. That's why it's so important to get the information out. When you go to a Planned Parenthood facility, the last thing they do is give you information about the truth. They won't let you see a sonogram. They won't let you hear the heartbeat. They won't let you hear anything. All they want to do is end the life. I was watching a, a, a video of a doctor testifying before Congress the procedure for an abortion, just you know, basically telling them word for word how it happens. I, I had to stop it. I couldn't take it anymore. About halfway through, I'm thinking, this is, I, it was so disgusting. They don't tell you that. They hide from you the truth. They hide from you the things that are going to be detrimental. All they want to do, and the number one thing about abortion is, of course, money. Verse 8, he says, Again, he stooped down and wrote it on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left and the woman still standing there. Notice the older folks went away first. How many, I said this on Wednesday night, as you get older, you mellow out a little bit. How many find that to be true? Your oldest child, you learn on, right? You're hard on them. You just, you're just, as the youngest one comes around, you mellow out. And you're not as hard anymore. And I think as Christians, when you first get saved, you are so excited against sin that, man, you're ready to just pounce on anything. How many of you were smokers but no longer smoke? My parents were smokers until they quit. And once they quit, they were really hard on smokers, right? What you used to do, if you get out of it, now you're really hard on against people who do that. I remember when I was, when I was Catholic, I would, once I got saved, I was really hard on Catholics. Until more wiser, a little more knowledge, a little more spirit, and you realize they need grace too. Those who are still smoking need grace too. You're not, you're not so quick to judge someone the longer you've been with the Lord. And I think that's why it's happening here. The older guys, okay. And they walked away first. The younger guys were still there. They're wanting to, you know, hey, let's go. But they finally left too. The older you get, you realize how God not only saved you, but what he keeps forgiving you of even after you're saved. How many of you, when you pray and you do your devotions and you ask for forgiveness, do you ever feel like, am I ever going to quit asking God for forgiveness? <laughs> I've been doing this now for 30 years. When am I ever going to not need forgiveness? And you realize that God saved you. In spite of that, he knew exactly what you're going to do after you were saved 
and he still called you. I was watching an NFL thing, and I forget who the player was, and he said something to the effect that when the coach put him in, he was really apprehensive about, I don't know if I can do this or not. I'm not sure if I can do this. This is, he's a rookie, first time up. And one of the players, the older players said to him, who put you in the game? And the guy said, well, the coach put me in. He says, well, then the coach must know that you can do it. And when you feel like when God calls you out of sin, God knows you can do it. God knows you can still succeed even though we sin every day. You can still do it. I wrote down here, sin, no matter what it is, does not define who you are. How many are glad for that? How many don't have to wear that scarlet A anymore? Even as Christians, we realize how good God has been after we've been saved. Who you are as a child of God, forgiven and filled to be used in great ways in spite of your sin. And maybe because of your sin. The most vocal opponents to abortion are women who have had abortions. Women who have worked in these places. They know what it's like firsthand and they know the guilt and condemnation and the pain that comes with that and they want to help others avoid that. Jesus in verse 10 said, straighten up and ask her, women, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. She said, and neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now, leave your life of sin. Notice no one refuted what the Pharisee said. There was probably no doubt that she was caught in the act. She was guilty of that. Jesus didn't condemn her. He also didn't condone her either. He did tell her, you're a sinner. You need to leave that life behind. Stop doing it. Jesus declared, go now, leave your life of sin. Up to the point of salvation, God knows your sin. God wants to forgive it. God doesn't sugarcoat your sin. You're a sinner. He didn't mince words. He said the facts that her lifestyle up to that point, unacceptable. But the good news is, woman caught in in adultery, all that sinfulness is forgiven. Your slate's clean. How many are glad that God doesn't remember our past? The enemy remembers it. He keeps reminding you of it. But God, the Bible says God chooses to forget. God doesn't forget. He's not a forgetful God. He chooses to erase it from his memory bank. And so when we come and we ask for forgiveness, here's the difference between guilt, condemnation, and conviction. Conviction is the Holy Spirit drawing you in, saying, yeah, you're a sinner. You need to get that forgiven. You need to get right. We come in, we ask God for forgiveness. At that point, the Bible says, God forgets it. If you feel guilt after that point and you've truly confessed it, that's the enemy putting condemnation on you. Romans 8.1 says, therefore there is no condemnation, what? For those who are in Christ Jesus. If you've been forgiven, there is no condemnation in your life. God is not up there with a hammer waiting to beat you. He no longer condemns us for what we did in the past. 
once we ask for forgiveness. Now we have to be careful as Christians, we don't, we don't grade sin. We think some sins are worse than others. Divorce, abortion, homosexuality usually rate high in the scale. But gossip, lying, cheating, those are on the bottom of the scale. I call those Christian sins because nobody gossips, right? The one thing we noticed at our old church about the prayer chain, we're trying to, we're really careful about that here. The prayer chain is not a gossip chain. It can become that if you're not careful. Ooh, tell me what's going on. I want to be in the know. And then we have little white lies. Well, if they're, if they're white lies, they're okay. Unfortunately not, because in God's eyes, sin is sin. And what, even what we think are the worst sins are forgivable, forgivable by God. The Bible refers to the devil as the father of lies, and one of his best is that God can't or won't forgive you. He'll talk you into sin. He will make it seem glamorous, make it seem like a great choice, whether it's abortion, whatever it is. And once you make that choice, he flips around and now continues to heap guilt on you, pain on you, and tells you that God can't forgive what you did. And he will continue to use your past to beat you down. But the good news is God wants to redeem your past. He can take the worst thing the devil meant to do to you and turn it into what God can do through you. Man, people's lives can be changed. No better testimony than someone who's been through it and has been forgiven and walks around with a clean slate that God does not remember that anymore. Would you stand? Would you close your eyes for a moment? You know, we talked about the, the atrocity of abortion, what it really does. And we also talked about the forgiveness that's available from God. You may not have had an abortion. Maybe you did. But maybe, maybe there's other sin in your life. Sin that the enemy's bringing down and beating you down with. Saying to you that God can't forgive that. Even after you're saved, you sin. We all sin. And the devil tells you, no, God can't forgive that one. God can't forgive that one. You knew better and you did it anyways. God can't forgive that. But the good news of the gospel, the good news is that Jesus wants to forgive all sin. If there's sin that Jesus can't forgive, then Jesus was wrong when he said, it is finished. So no matter what sin you're involved in now, what sin is in your past, what sin is driving you 
down and beating you down. That's the sin God wants to forgive. God wants to give you a brand new slate to move on, press on with God, not live in your sinful past. If you're here and you want to experience that forgiveness, not just in your head, but in your heart, God is knocking on the door of your heart, the Bible says, but it's up to you to open it. If you want God to come into your life, cleanse you of that sin, erase your past, I want you to raise your hand right now. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for forgiving us. We thank you for your grace poured into our lives. And we thank you for the responsibility now that you've given us to affect change in the world we live in. So Lord, I pray you would fill each one of us with your Holy Spirit. Allow us to leave this morning anointed, empowered to do exactly what you've called us to do and allow us to affect change in this community by drawing people to Jesus. I pray your Holy Spirit fills us, equips us, sets us up with opportunity to share the message that we have. And Father, we will be careful to thank you for all you've done for us. We always thank you. We always praise you for who you are and how you've forgiven us. And Lord, we're doing it all in the name of Jesus. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.